0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Hey, everyone. Glenn here. We're talking about investing today. And I wanted to kind of backwards engineer a discussion around investing and I'm joined by a good friend of mine and the podcast, Victoria Divine from She's on the Money. Glenn hey.
3: James, thanks for letting me on your show again.
2: It's my pleasure and I know a lot of our communities cross over and they like listening to all the things. You've just released a book about investing.
3: I have. Wild, right? I know.
2: I'm really... I'm pumped.
3: Wild because I said after the first book, I'd never write a book again. And then Hypocritical Victoria literally a year later releases another one. Like, maybe I'm just... I like a good time.
2: Yeah. Well, I like a great time. So, that's why I'm having a great time today. We're going to talk about just some concepts. We might, after the break, talk a bit more about the book. But I'd like back engineering things. Do you? And often we can learn positive things by what not to do.
3: I like that. I've got an episode coming up on our podcast. I think I think coming up once this drops. It'll be like red financial flags. Oh, Is are that you what doing you're talking? Yeah, we can but it's like in relationships, like oh. red flags to look out for when you're dating when it comes to money.
2: And and we might do it just more of a my millennial story and just talk about Victorian and what you've learned, but like when it comes to your own money mindset and investing.
3: Important, I would argue.
2: Yeah. What what things do you not do when it comes to your own money mindset?
3: Uh, so, I've spoken about this on my podcast and I'm quite similar to you, Um I actually have ADHD. So I am really impulsive. I chase dopamine highs. um, And something I don't do is leave it to chance. So I automate literally everything I do my savings, my spending, my investments. I have my cash flow plan that I use because it works for me. And the reason I use it is because I allocate myself a certain amount of money each and every single week to spend. And I call that my food, fuel and fun account because I can blow it and not impact my bigger savings goals. But when I leave it to chance, like you best believe, I will blow through all my cash. Mm. Like I think people look at me and go, wow, she's so good with money. I would argue I am really good with money because I know myself well enough to know what my money mindset is and have a structure in place. But I wasn't always like that. And the true Victoria, she is not very good at money.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: And- So structurally to help your money mindset, one of the things is that you've learned that, you know, the bag of chemicals that you are, you need systems and structure with your money.
3: I absolutely need systems and structure and I need to feel like I can't access my savings. Mm. I'll go in there. I'm really impulsive. I love shopping. I love spending money. It's fun. But I think it's really important to understand your money mindset and your attitude towards things. It's not just about your attitudes towards risk and what you're willing to take on in the investment world. Like my attitude towards risk in my everyday life has to be mitigated before we can start investing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If someone said to you, what's the best piece of mindset advice that you've received?
3: Oh, mindset advice.
2: Or was there a quote or something to do with money mindset?
3: I don't know if there's a particular quote. I wish I was a little bit more responsive and that I could think of it immediately because I think there's probably a million of them that I could use. I just think it's about really understanding yourself and taking your money story seriously because I didn't think it was a thing way Mm. back when. I didn't know that money mindset was important. And I think a lot of us don't think it's important and you go, I don't have a money mindset, Victoria. I don't care about it yet. Cool. That's your money mindset showing. Like saying you don't care about cash. There's going to be a reason Mm. that you don't care about it. So I think it's just about watching your own money story. What does that mean? How does that work? And I think it's a Theodore Roosevelt quote. Comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. Like to me, comparing my money story, comparing how much money I have to my friends doesn't do anything for anybody. So if you want a quote, that's the one.
2: For me, I think it is that the only person I should compare myself to is the me of yesterday.
3: Yeah, deep. It,
2: like how far have I come? And for those like, I love reading in the, you know, both of our Facebook groups, the stories of people is like, I got out of debt, uh, but I'm 35 and I, you know, I'm behind. Well, no, you're, you're not because you're ahead of where you were.
3: Exactly. And I think it's really important to, one, not compare yourself, but also stop doing that thing that a lot of humans do where they say, oh, well, Glenn, someone else has it worse. Mm. Like, can we validate our own experiences? And if you're stressed or you're anxious about money, that's valid. That's fine. You're allowed to be anxious about it. Just because somebody else is, quote, better at money doesn't mean your anxieties are not validated. Mm. And in that same vein, oh, if someone else is in a better situation, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't celebrate how far you've come or what you're achieving. And I just think it's so frustrating when people say things like that or go, oh, but I only. No, but you did. Let's celebrate that. How cool.
2: Before anyone starts to invest, what would you suggest that somebody needs to consider before they start putting money to work to grow?
3: Um, I have a a laundry list of things that you need to do before you even consider investing. So first things first, get out of personal debt. Like that is not a situation you want to be in. I would argue that getting out of personal debt is an investment in itself. Where else can you get a 20% return on your money, Glenn? If you've got a credit card that has 20% interest rates, arguably making your money return that because if you pay it off early, that's 20% you didn't have to pay. Money win. So from my perspective, personal debt, setting up an emergency fund even before that. So having an emergency fund, even when you're in debt enables you to change your money story It enables you to change your money mindset and put you in a position where you are putting future you first. Because if you're smashing down debt, that's really noble. That's really exciting. But if you're smashing down debt and you don't have a emergency fund and an unexpected cost comes up, you're forced to go back into more debt to service that cost. And that puts you in a position where you'll go, so bad at money. I'm not good at this. I was so far ahead. No, You actually didn't give yourself a structure for success. You didn't put yourself in the driver's seat. You put yourself in the passenger seat so you could see what was happening. But when the driver yeeted out of the car, you were screwed. So it's really important to work out whether you're in the driver's seat or the passenger seat of your financial journey. No one wants to be in the passenger seat. We don't just watch on. We actually control it. So do that. What did you want to say? Well,
2: I I was just, you know, these communities and podcasts that we run, you know, We've got a Legendary,
3: big, I would argue.
2: Yeah, pretty good. Um, we've got a big audience and there's a lot of different needs. And if you've just joined, and this could be the first time you've ever heard uh, this podcast, My Millennial Money or-
3: Welcome.
2: Welcome. But, you know, we, we do talk about investing and we do talk about future goals. I don't want people to get caught up thinking that they need to invest because- we're talking about it. And no. you see like uh, Facebook account, influencers talking about investing. I think it's okay to go, look, I have a goal for the next three months to not buy new clothes and to Good goal. to do this. Or I have a goal just to, I'm going to save as much money over the next three months as possible for the purpose of just saving money. Yeah, agreed. Like, We don't always have to deploy capital Uh, into investments Mm -hmm. because it's, it's just so in our world. And if you follow either of our Instagrams, you'll probably get fed other investing content. So, we're in this echo chamber of I've got to invest, I've got to invest. And I'd really encourage anyone like it's that comparison thing. Just because everyone's investing, I want you to be an investor. But it's okay to, you know, as you said, pay down your debt first. And but thankfully I think that
3: that's so smart. Mm. Like, I think you can be on your investing journey while paying off debt. Just because you don't have an investing account yet, you're setting up your financial house, as you always call it, Glenn, mm. to be in the best position to be successful.
2: I, I will say as well, um, you know, I'm a walking contradiction. Same girl. I said in my book that to keep you engaged mm. with, you know, wanting to learn and invest... I think, sure, it's probably okay to maybe flick 5 or $10 a week into a, a micro app or just to... Agree. But I'm talking about, I don't want you to be putting hundreds of dollars a week...
3: Absolutely ...into not.
2: investments. So, it is that good thing that we do have the advantage to have a roundup and invest small amounts to keep learning. And it's kind of this um, causation, correlation argument, and I never know which way to use these phrases... But as you're learning with your investing with small amounts, if you do take a bit of a hit, if there's a market correction or something like That's that-
3: a learning. It's a
2: learning thing. And you haven't just thrown in $1,000 and lost 30% of it. Yeah, I think, have, So, I don't I know. Think, it's just- a, interesting. No, thing I to agree. Chat about. I think
3: so many people assume that to begin their investing journey, they have to have such a big amount of money. Even today where, you know, I speak about different platforms on my podcast and you speak about platforms on yours. There are platforms out there where you can start your investment journey with as little as one cent. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to have a lot, but I think we have made up in our heads that, all right, well you can, but I'd really like to start with, you know, a thousand dollars because, you know, Glenn and Victoria always talk about diversification and that's really important. Mm-hmm. We get it. But <laughs> But maybe that $10 bucks is not about being well diversified. Maybe it's about that 10 bucks being an investment into your financial literacy so that you can understand the markets, the shortcomings, what it feels like when we are headed towards a bear market, which a lot of my community just experienced, what it feels like when it goes up, celebrating your first dividend. One of my staff members has obviously started investing since starting to work for me. She got her first dividend a couple of weeks ago. I know right? She's like, it's a dollar. Uh, Victoria, why are we celebrating this? I'm like, baby, it is your first dividend. I don't care how much it is. I think that's sick. Like your money is making money. That's really fun. Like let's celebrate the small successes, but understand that it's not about making millions at the start. It's about learning from other people's journeys and picking up things along the way and going, all right, well, maybe actually being in the game is going to give me some experience so that when I do invest bigger amounts of money, I know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like. You don't have to put your life savings in it though.
2: So, investing can be risky. I've heard that. Yeah.
3: Someone smart and one time told me.
2: That's right. And we probably could even just turn this episode title into a investing for beginners part five because we always, you know- Part come
3: one million.
2: Part one millionth or whatever. I mean, and I'm fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of the book to you have a look at.
3: welcome.
2: How would you start to explain- investing risk to people who aren't yet invested?
3: So I think investing risk is a fickle topic to discuss, not because it's complicated, Glenn, but because I think people assume that risk means taking on really risky asset classes and, you know, putting your neck out there and the buying something. Wall Street. Yeah, like it's like Buller stuff or yeah. it's crypto or it's NFTs. Yeah. And I say on my podcast quite often, I'm a really conservative risk investor. Like, I'm a risky investor, but I'm really conservative. And they're like, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Um, And I think a lot of people would be confused by that because obviously – or not obviously, when it comes to risk in investment, there are different risk profiles that you could adhere to. And to truly start an investment journey, I believe that everybody should go and do a risk assessment and reflect on what that means or where that comes from. So, are you a conservative investor? Are you a growth investor? Are you a high growth investor? What does that mean and how does that work? But what is a portfolio made up of if you're a high growth investor? and Glenn, you would already know this, but the difference, you know, in an average super fund between a conservative portfolio and a high growth portfolio isn't taking on riskier shares. It's actually just increasing the percentage of shares you own. And that conservative investor and that high growth investor actually are invested in identical things. They just hold different percentages of those things. And so, when I say I'm a really risky but conservative investor, I mean that I'm picking really stable companies, really boring, tried, true, blue chip stocks Mm. But most of my wealth is in that. So, that would categorize me as a high growth investor. But am I going to go buy crypto? Am I going to go buy NFTs? No. Am I going to buy new and improved and exciting shares? Like a couple of years ago, I think it was probably nearly 18 months ago, my community were going wild over after pay shares, Glenn. Mm. I'd never touch that because it's too risky for me. I want- the blandest of portfolios that provide for me over time because that's what my risk profile is, right? So, I think when we start talking about risk, we really need to define that it's not about the riskiest of asset classes. It's actually about what you're willing to tolerate individually and what your percentage portfolio is made up of. Like- do you want 20% shares and maybe a whole heap of cash? Do you want it to be mostly property or do you want it to be mostly shares? Like, what are we looking at? Because that's what I'm talking about when it comes to risk, not do you want some NFTs and some crypto, babe?
2: Mm. Yeah, but that's a big myth with this. You know, we hear risk and we've heard the stories of uncles, aunts, parents, grandparents.
3: Oh, oh but, you they, know, carried down lost, the road, lost, they lost everything,
2: all, all of their money, and there are legitimate cases where people are being screwed and lost their money.
3: Yeah, we're not saying that's wrong.
2: It's just more of a stepping back, and these old, you know, eggs in the same basket thing, right?
3: Oh, yeah, I still use that example. Yeah, do you I use mean, that example, or are we throwing it under the bus?
2: No, no, I, I still use it because what I'm getting at. I'm just trying to bring this, like these old truths to the world and uh, life. The problem is with social media and technology, it's flipped the perception of reality. And we think if someone said, oh, I've got to wait a year for this thing. It's like, that's a long time. Yes, it is. But in the investing world, 12 months is short term.
3: Yeah, 12 months is... Please don't invest for only 12 months.
2: Yeah. And I think we as a society have been caught out with the onslaught of technology that I could jump off the roof because I've been playing a game, right? And I, I could fly, but no, gravity is real and it will have real consequences.
3: Yeah, don't do that.
2: And I just think with our investing, diversification long-term, all these things that are real things, social media and advertising can lead us astray.
3: I think we're always chasing the next big thing, right? Mm. Like we see it in the weight loss industry. And I talk a lot about this in my book, like you akin diets to budgets. And there seems to be this idea of restriction around a budget when in reality, that's the thing that actually helps you achieve your financial goals and puts you in the best possible position. Mm. And then with this whole diet culture, I look at it and go fast results now. Like there's always a pill or a surgery or a thing that you can do to get your desired outcome. And we live in a world where, you know, I'm even guilty of it. I order Uber Eats all the time, Glenn. Mm. I'm not proud of it, but I do. It's really convenient and I can have dinner in my hands at my desk at home in 15 minutes. Mm. Everything, I snap my fingers and it happens. Like there is now a service that I haven't taken up yet, but I've got the targeted marketing on Instagram for it, where you put a laundry bag at your front door and someone comes, picks it up, washes it, irons it re-delivers it back to your door uh, within like 48 hours or something. I'm like, I like that. Mm. I want that. Everything is so instantaneous nowadays, right? Mm. Like we get annoyed when we're sitting at a restaurant and we order the thing that says 12 hours, slow cooked lamb. And then you're like, I ordered that 10 minutes ago. Where is it? Like you're pissed off. Mm. So I think this then extends into our sense of urgency that we have when creating wealth because wealth is actually really slow. It's slow, it's steady, it's hidden. It's not that sexy in the grand scheme of things. And we just want it to happen now, right? Like Mm -hmm. you are motivated, you are excited, you've found this podcast and you've started your wealth creation journey. Why hasn't it happened yet, Glenn? Like, I just feel like we are too, we're too expectational when it comes to what we can achieve in the short term, but we also really underestimate what we can achieve in the long term and that shoots us in the foot.
2: I was thinking investing, uh, what's the day? Tuesday. Tuesday. On, on Sunday, I was doing some, like, I, I bought a reciprocator saw just to cut up some. Um,
3: yeah, I called you on Sunday. You were doing gardening. Yes. You need me to remind you. Yes, that's yeah, right.
2: <laughs> and I was in this deep thought, and I've recently made some content around this, and I'll just kind of rehash it. Investing is so much like gardening, right?
3: Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. I'll, so, look, I'll stick it out because usually you have something I, I, good I, to I say. I plant a tree. Yeah.
2: Not once have I ever planted a tree that's planted for the long term and a week later dug where it up and look at the roots.
3: Yeah, where are me lemons? Why yeah. aren't they on the tree yeah. tomorrow?
2: Yeah, I've never re it up to True. check the roots. Never done that. Why? Because I Maybe know Maybe that's that,
3: why all my plants die. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
2: I know that planting a tree takes time and the long term.
3: It does.
2: In terms of our investment types, am I planting the right tree for the south-facing garden that I have or does it need sunlight? I see
3: where you're going with this Mm. because we recently redid our back garden and I wanted some screening plants. Yeah. So, we were looking into what grows quickly because I don't want to wait 10 years for these trees to grow. I kind of want to get rid of my neighbours being able to look into my yard yes. tomorrow. So, we got a relatively fast growing tall tree that will pop up in nine to 10 months. And that Great.
2: suited you. That suited me. Now, you can't tell Glenn, or oh Glenn, your garden, you have to this investment. Yeah, you, or you need have these ficus because they grow
3: real quick yeah, and they grow real tall and, it's and bushy. That's not
2: my goals.
3: Oh, I wanted a rose garden.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then understanding that at the moment, um, we're coming into spring, mm-hmm. the frangipani out the back of my house. Oh,
3: you really don't live in Victoria, do you? No, but it no, was- No, if I had a frangipani, it'd be dead, Glenn.
2: Yeah. Like there it was, was four no- Four degrees it, this it,
3: morning here, Glenn.
2: Gosh. Four. It was savage, right? It was no what are they? Flowers and leaves on it.
3: hmm
2: Now, to the casual observer, that Frangipani tree looks dead, but it's just part of a cycle. It's dormant. Yeah, it's a bear market. So there's all these it's
3: a bear market tree. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so investing is deciduous. There is different seasons. My I plant I like a good it. tree. I have to do maintenance. I have to maybe prune. I have to check my portfolio. Have to mow lawn. Have to do the maintenance. Do some
3: edge trimming.
2: The trees, you know, they. It's going to tip over.
3: Got to cut off a branch because we got to rebalance it, Glenn.
2: Exactly. So. Lots of correlations there.
3: Look, I think we could have done much better on that, but I think people will see I where we're it. going with I'm it. I'm very and visual. I'm glad I didn't ask you to help me write my book because it would have gone in a different way.
2: Absolutely. It would have been like all metaphoric. Can metaphorical. you imagine if we
3: wrote a book together, what that would look like?
2: <sighs> It'd be a train wreck. It'd be good. Uh, we'll I'd be- pay to read that. <laughs> we'll be back
1: right after this.
2: All right. So with your own investing. Yes, sir. In your book, mm-hmm. investing with she's on the money. Yep. You you kind of guide people how to get started, you know, get the ducks in the row. You talk about shares or investing in property. How do you personally invest?
3: Oh spicy. So I would argue that I am very share heavy. I have what we call... Am I allowed to share this legally? Yeah, I think I am. I'm just not allowed to tell you the product that I use, am I? All right. So, I have what we call a core satellite approach, Glennie James, where most of my money is sitting in a core portfolio that is managed by an outsourced third party. Um, It's very very bland. It's very full of blue chip assets. It is very uh, passive. I would say it's a passive investment. So I have a passive investment portfolio because that aligns to my values as a long-term investor. like I'm not here to outperform the market with my core portfolio. I actually just am quite happy with the average of the average. It's tracking. I'm really grateful I started when I was young. The whole intention is to create wealth with that over the long-term, right? But it's me. I love investing so much, Glenn, that I literally wrote a whole book on it. Love it. So, I also have an active satellite approach where I just have a little bit of a dabble in different things and Mm. buy shares that I think are, you know, worth buying. I love reading an annual report and seeing what a business is up to. Mm. I love talking to stockbrokers and getting their idea of what's going on. I have a few friends that are stockbrokers that I'm always like, ah, Tom, what's up? Like, tell me about this, this and this, or what's the office talking about this week? And I just think it's so fun. But I also know that a lot of people aren't going to think that's fun and they're investing purely to get a return and that's absolutely fine. Mm. So, from my perspective, I do that. I don't have any property investments at the moment. What
2: what core satellite percentage would you say your portfolio is?
3: Uh, 90-10, I reckon.
2: Yeah. And what is that on a platform or direct broker?
3: So, I've got direct broker for my core uh, and direct broker or just platform for my satellite.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. So,
3: my core portfolio is managed by a stockbroker because I am a financial advisor. I don't need, from my perspective, a financial advisor. Did have one for a little while and just didn't like getting advice, didn't like being told what to do, Glenny James. So, I took it direct to a stockbroker and that's how I manage it. And then I actually have a platform that's external to that that I buy and sell shares on. So, I don't need to talk to a stockbroker about it.
2: Right. Interesting. Yeah. I don't use a stockbroker. Why? Because I don't care for trading and individual stocks.
3: So, that's where I'm probably giving myself away a little bit. Yes, it's a very passive investment, but mm. it is, yeah, externally managed. So, yeah, sure. I've got something that's maybe not as exciting. I can show you later. I just yep. can't tell the peeps Ooh. what's in it because that would constitute personal advice. And we're not about Why, that. Why, Glenn? Because I've got influence, apparently. Yes, you do. Hey.
2: Um, I wish okay. I could
3: just be like, this is what I've got. Doesn't mean it will work for you, but unfortunately, that's Well, that's it. It's, a,
2: it's the tree analogy, right? Yeah. Or the car analogy. Yeah. You know, I want to buy a new car. Okay, do you want a four-wheel drive or do you want a Corolla?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I did used to have my investments on a platform, but I removed the platform because I can do my own tax reporting, basically. Yeah. I didn't want to pay for a platform and I can just hold it direct is yeah. basically where and I'm And this at. is like,
2: oh, I did a podcast a few weeks ago and I called it, and I was telling my team after the recording, I called it a value kink and Ooh. yeah, and- the team's like uh oh, not really a kink just more about what you value see you're not paying a platform fee because you can just track it yourself
3: yeah because where, i am actually an advisor who knows how to do that
2: yeah and i do i know how to do it all well but i can't be bothered so i'd rather just have a annual statement from a platform and i'm happy to pay for that so that's my weird value kink
3: yeah Yeah, I don't want to pay for something I'm not using. Also, I was already interacting with those stockbrokers pretty regularly because I like them and I've got a personal relationship with them. So, it kind of just made sense Mm. um, to shoot the third person out of the conversation. Do you ever
2: buy like any species? I
3: I have bought a few speculative stocks. I'm not saying they're going well. One did go incredibly well though. So, nice for some.
2: And that's what like you mentioned before the whole afterpay thing and everyone gets FOMO about... Oh, I should have bought that and all that. For every unicorn that explodes, there's probably a thousand that didn't go anywhere. And yeah, that's literally. why. Literally. And you know,
3: everyone's like, I wish I picked that unicorn. Like, okay.
2: Yeah. And that's why, like, your speckies would be only 10% of your portfolio wealth. So if it does go down, it doesn't flush you, right? Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm very boring. I
3: just looked at one of my specy stocks, Glenny James. Oh, look at this! Look at this! Obviously, don't uh, tell anybody what that is. Bought at forty-four cents, Glenny James. That's a good return. Not bad, good size. Yeah, Not two dollars fourteen a share.
2: Love it. That, but- like,
3: like the other ones, it'd balance out maybe like a return yeah. of two percent. But this is interesting,
2: honest. right? Because you're doing this out of personal interest and to. You like looking at company financials, you like doing all that stuff, but you haven't put... One hundred percent of Victoria Divine's wealth oh, into that. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, and
3: even though I, I often do feel like I have a lot of conviction when mm. picking a specky stock because I think a lot of people, you know, specy means speculative. So you're taking a bit of a gamble, right? Like it's, it's not, not investing. Like, it's not investing. It's, it's taking a punt. Yeah. So I think talking about a specy stock, you go, all right. Well, it's it's a gamble, but the amount of time, energy, and effort I spend researching it when I can't sleep. I'm Mm. Googling stuff like that. Like a lot of people would be on the Iconic and I'm looking up annual report and then I'm reading names in that annual report and I go, oh, what was that CEO's past history? What does that mean? Why are they in this circumstance? How does that work? Like I went down a whole rabbit hole. One of the companies I have bought at like, you know, as a Specky stock is a biopharmaceutical company, right? And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But The more I researched the company, the more I was like, oh, this CEO is going to do some fancy things, I reckon, Mm. because he actually has the illness that that biopharmaceutical company does. And I'm like, oh, that's got some conviction. And he's saying some stuff in the media and looks like no one's really picking it up. Mm. But from my perspective, I was like, oh, that's, that's worth a punt. Did mm. I put all my wealth on it? Absolutely not. Had I put all my wealth on it, like, I'd be a very rich woman. Yeah. But I just know that that's not a good idea because it could go both ways. doesn't even matter what the circumstances are because it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, and I've – and this goes kind of full circle back to the start with values and knowing your money vibes and whatnot. Like, I don't have any direct stocks.
3: Really? Yeah.
2: Why? sold the last one last year because – I'm in love with dopamine.
3: Oh, yeah. And I I get that. It can
2: be very detrimental. Like, I've put some money into some specky things and they've, you know, exploded and done well. But I don't ever want to think that it was because I knew what I was doing.
3: Mm. Like, I'm not
2: like you and have read the annual report. Yeah.
3: You wouldn't. I've just
2: gone, like, oh, someone was talking about this at a party. All right. I'll throw some money in. LOL. Yeah. Okay. But that's. I've resolved that it, it's probably more in my life gambling. And for me, if if I'm putting money into a specie, if some money into a specie is good, more must be better. But that's not the case when yeah, you're punting. Like more not. isn't absolutely better when you're punting not. because it can get out of control. And that's where I've just resolved in my own life that I invest in ETFs and manage funds.
3: Yeah, look, from my perspective, I think that I thankfully have my head screwed on enough that I don't take that mentality when doing a specie, Mm. I kind of just want to be involved. Like I kind of just want to have a turn. Um, And whether that means I invest 50 bucks or not, Mm. that's where it's at. Like I'm not saying, oh, I can, you know, Maybe you're looking at it going, oh, we should 90% of her wealth is there. And maybe she's a billionaire. Mm. Like I'm not, obviously. My 10% is really not that much in the grand scheme yeah. of things. Because I guess to wind it all back, most of my wealth goes in my business. Yeah, that's right. Everything I've earned has <laughs> always gone back into building that business. Mm. And yeah, I have a share portfolio, but it's not as exciting as you might think it is purely because my biggest investment in my life has been my business.
2: Yeah and I must confess I actually maybe told a mistruth that I forgot about but I you know if I see things come across my email inbox that are of personal interest mm. like I've I've got an investment in a kind of pre IPO company
3: oh which, okay won't buy individual stocks no, but, will buy pre IPO Yeah
2: but they're convertible notes which are an yeah. agreement that you put money into um, a private company, mm-hmm. and they give you a convertible note, which is a certificate. Yep. Saying when we list in two years,
3: you get uh, this many
2: stocks. You'll get this many stocks at a twenty percent discount, and along the way, we'll pay you. I think like eight or ten percent interest. Yep. Um. So that stuff, it's very considered, and you know, you've got to be, you've got to tick the boxes. You know, being a wholesale investor and all that crap. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I just think it's so important, these conversations, to know that I'm just 100%. The more, the older I get, the more I know that I'm really useless at picking stocks. So, I don't.
3: Yeah, that's fair. And that's you know, the, once fair. every four years you know that
2: an opportunity comes across my desk, sure, I'll have a punt, put some money in but it's nowhere near even 10% of my portfolio or my wealth. So,
3: And all of this, I think, is quite interesting, right? People are probably enjoying going, oh, I didn't realise they did X, Y, Z. Do you know what? Wouldn't recommend it. Literally go read Glenn's book or read my new book mm. about investing and you won't find anything in the book about that because I just think it's really irresponsible. It's fun to talk about with friends. It's fun to have a yeah. bit of a bant. but... I've created this book and you created your book because we just want people to be in the best possible financial circumstances. And I can teach you that, I can mm. do that for you, but it's often not sexy. I try to make it real sexy, Glenn. Mm. But at the end of the day, like, I want you to have a deep dive into shares. I want you to have a deep dive into property and what this means and how this works. And I want you to be savvy about your super and understand the difference between passive and active investing and what that means and what might suit you. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. And I want to put all the education on the table and knowing what I do personally actually should not impact the decision you make because it's not helpful to know what I do. It's helpful to know your risk profile what you should
2: do. Yeah, but that's the like any book I think particularly that I will write and by looking through yours, yours as well, Mm -hmm. we want to get people to a baseline of understanding and then my goal is you outgrow my content and you do your own thing. But I've got you to a critical mass or a base camp and you understand the concepts. But you talked about superannuation.
3: Superannuation. What do you
2: think are the... Biggest myths or misunderstandings about superannuation.
3: Oh, so the biggest one. Because you dedicated a whole chapter to it. I I did because it's actually really important to understand your super. It's really important to understand some myths around super. Um, my favourite one would be that an SMSF gives you more control. Truth. I think that SMSFs, and what is, does
2: SMSF stand uh, for? Self
3: Managed Super Fund. Glenny James.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, talk about that because you always see it pop up like- People
3: always like, should "Should I start one? Should I not? Oh my gosh, we're in 2022. You have so much control over your super without having an SMSF. So many times I've seen it in my community where they're like, oh, well, I'm going to get an SMSF because I have heaps of money in my super. Okay, see where you're going. And I don't want to pay fees. Oh- How about the auditing and accounting fees that you're going to have to pay on your SMSF every single year? Because because you're
2: starting a company.
3: You're starting a company. What about the responsibility that comes alongside that? Like nowadays, super funds are so flexible. Like there are super funds, Glenn, that only invest in women run and owned companies. Mm. There are super funds that are headed up by women. There are super funds that exist to only hold tech stocks. I think that the myth that a soup, an SMSF is going to give you more control uh, is an absolute joke in 2022 from my perspective because you can have so much control in your personal superannuation funds nowadays. Like some of the super funds, Glenn, enable you to actually select a portion of control and have your own assets in there. It just, it makes no sense to me nowadays because. It's becoming so much more regulated unless you are a business owner and you're saying, look, V, I really want to buy a commercial property because I own this really big business and want to buy a factory and do this and lease it to myself. And I'd say, go get some accounting advice Mm. on that before you do that because there's lots of ways to slice a piece of cheese. But that's when I'd go, all right, I can see why that might make sense in your circumstance. But if you are going to get an SMSF because you just want more control, no, absolutely not yeah from my perspective
2: yeah that's awesome so other than that being the major myth
3: Uh, anything else come to mind what else have I got another myth Glenn um I mean there's a heap of them it's too expensive Mm. uh no you can get into investing with with as little as one cent it's too risky we've spoken a lot about risk on this podcast today but you know at the end of the day We always hear the scandals. We always hear the sob stories on the news and in the media. Media wouldn't sell if they were like, Glenn James' portfolio performs consistently again for the 11th year in a row. Like, no one cares, Glenn. They
2: only report on the instant, instant negatives, not the good stuff that's bubbling away in the background.
3: Yeah. The idea that you need to be rich to start investing, absolute myth. The idea that you'd be locking away your money. Like, no, investing portfolios are so liquid. But on the flip side, the same people that are saying, oh, I'd be locking away my money, Glenn, they're the ones going and buying investment properties. They're the ones going, oh, it's a better, more stable investment, Glennie James. But you know what you can't do? Cut off a bathroom when you need to go and pay a really big medical bill. You've got to liquidate the entire asset and that can take 90 plus days. You have a share portfolio and you want to liquidate your asset? Usually three business days, give or take.
2: Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I think it's always good just to understand your goals before you pull the trigger on any investing.
3: I agree. I agree.
2: So, in wrapping up.
3: I love a good wrap up. Are you going to wrap this nicely or fancy? you're going to wrap this up. Oh, no.
2: Was there anything that you want people to know about investing that would be of benefit to them
3: honestly, that we didn't talk about. Honestly, from my perspective, investing is such a personal journey and I could not care less how you learned about it. By my book, don't. I wrote this book for a very specific demographic and that's people who want to learn from me specifically. Right. Because I think that oh, there's so many investing books out there, right? Like if I had looked at it, I'd be like, oh, Glenn's book's real sick. Like, I read your book. I loved your book. I thought it was really intelligent. I thought there were so oh, many good. I know. I know you tried really hard. But I, I read it. I understood it. I felt like there were so many good nitty-gritty examples that really taught people how to build their safe financial house, right? But I wrote this because there are so many people out there who still read investing books and just feel like they don't absorb that information. Mm. Um, and I guess... She's On The Money feels like it's directed more towards women and it is in a way, but the she in She's On The Money is me, that's me everybody in my community is really diverse. We have she's, he's, they's, them's, like it doesn't matter who you are if you resonate with my content. I've just written it in a way that hopefully you can absorb and take away. And because women are often less likely to put themselves in the control seat, like they get into this idea of analysis paralysis and thinking they need to be an expert before they jump in. Men are way more likely to just take a risk, have a crack at it, give it a go. Women aren't. And I think that for me, this is that book Specifically for women to go, you know what? We deserve a seat at that table. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drag that chair up for you. I'm going to put you in the chair and I'm going to say, all right, now learn. Mm. So that's what this book is about. And you know, there's no revolutionary concept that you're going to be like, "Wow, she taught me about ESG investing." Nobody else has done that. Like, these are concepts that already exist. I wish I could pretend to that I was reworking the entire wheel, Glenn, and I have invented this idea of investing. I haven't, but I've written it in a way that hopefully you walk away so empowered to start your journey and so supported in that journey that you're like, "I could do this. Mm. I absolutely could." So that's what my book is about.
2: I love it. And, you know, anything that you read or listen to, we can all learn one thing and move the needle slightly for our own situation. You can grab a copy of Investing with She's on the Money. I'll put a link in the show notes. Anywhere books are sold because it was like number one on Amazon.
3: But use Glenn's link because I reckon he's used an oh, affiliate yeah, it's an link where you'll click the ticket. So, like if you're going to use Absolutely. any link, it has to be Glenn's. Um, and I say well, that because he's going to lord it over me. Look how many books I sold for you.
2: No, 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 no. I'm on no. to you. You we're, did it last time. About, you'll do it again. Well, you know, got to pay the bills somehow. I rate Can't it. I'm all sellers bestsellers. <laughs> All right, friends, um, thanks for having a listen. Hope you've been encouraged to take action and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Victoria. Catch up. Bye.
1: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money/charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of MoneySherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.